I'm not sure I have this on right. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the redemption, salvation, uh, justification, atonement that we have through him. We thank you, Lord, that we are now at peace with a God who we were at wrath, uh, under his wrath of before. So, Father, we thank you for bringing us close to you through the blood of Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Justification. I've been given only three weeks to cover justification. That's okay. Um, let's turn to Romans 4. We're going to start there. We're going to read through this briefly. And then what we're going to do is I, I kind of got this loosely outlined uh, for, uh, for what we're going to cover. Um, but Romans 4 is really where, where the crux of this begins, Okay at least in the New Testament. And then it's going to take us back to the Old Testament. We're going to define terms. It's going to be kind of an elaborate process. But let's read this. Romans 4, 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but is something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person who the Lord will change, uh, will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. So stop right here for just a second. So Abraham believed God. What did he believe about God? He believed the promise, the covenant that was given to him. He believed that that God was going to fulfill his promise through him. I don't know if I can do this. All right. What? Yeah, okay. So what we're going to do, it's not going to do any good. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, this covenant. This is Genesis 15. This covenant with Abraham is very important because what's happening is God comes down. And you remember this. This is the covenant that God will be a God to Abraham and Abraham will be his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And this is an eternal perpetual covenant. Okay. And here's the interesting about, thing about covenants. This covenant in Genesis 15, covenants were made this way. Not by putting X's on a board, but these are pieces of meat. Okay. Abraham was commanded in Genesis 15 to take pieces of meat, cut them up, and make a little runway, a little aisle that, that uh, the covenant would be made through. Now, the purpose of this is two parties were involved, okay? Two parties. In this case, it was between God and Abraham, God and man, okay? So let's specify the parties, God 
God is supposed to walk through this or come through this, pass through this. Abraham is supposed to pass through this. We have God doing it. We have man doing it. Okay? Because that's who God is making a covenant with. The purpose or the, the message behind a covenant like this is if I walk through this, may I become like these pieces of meat if I fail in keeping the covenant. May I be torn and ripped up and shredded like these pieces of meat if I don't keep my end of the covenant. So if we go to Genesis 15, let's go there real quick. This is a, an exciting, an exciting uh, passage. Genesis 15. Okay, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I will reward, uh, your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can I give? Uh, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. This is the the, the God that I serve, you've given me no, you haven't fulfilled your promise. I, I'm going to be giving this to my house slave. Now, the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at this guy. Count the stars. If you're able to count them, you're not. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Innumerable. You can't count them. Abram believed the Lord. Now, this is where Romans 4 kicks us back to Genesis 15. Abram believed the Lord. Before, also, by the way, he was circumcised and before his name was changed. Okay? Verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. All of these are going to be cut up into these pieces of meat here. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite of each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses. So now Abram's waiting on God to show up. And while he's waiting, all of these birds start showing up and eating the meat. Okay? But Abram got up and drove them away. And the sun was setting down, setting a deep sleep came over Abram while the sun was going down. Suddenly, great terror and darkness descended on him. Here it is. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. And this is the prediction. This is the foreshadow, the, uh, for, uh, the, the plan, right? of God not yet having come yet. It's going to be the bondage of Israel in Egypt with Moses. However, I will judge the nation they serve, Egypt, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. And they did. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites. Has, uh, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, this is, this is the... This is what we're talking about right here. When the sun had set, it was dark, uh, and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. So, you have a torch. 
and you have a smoking pot, some people say a furnace. We'll just, we'll just call it a furnace. These two things come through and pass. And they passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, and so forth. Right? So, so here's the point. God passes through this, and God passes through this. Abram never passed through it. So this covenant has to be between God and himself. But God doesn't make a covenant with himself in terms of uh, uh, this kind of covenant. He has an internal covenant within the Trinity, but it's not, it doesn't require a sacrifice because they're all pure, they're all holy. Okay? When I say all, I don't mean all gods, I mean all persons. This was made between God and man. So throw out a little Latin for you. Anselm came up with a question, per Deus homo. Why the God-man? Why is it that we need a God-man? God-man. This covenant was between God. This covenant was between man. And so there has to be someone who represents God and man on both ends of the covenant. Okay? So what must happen? What must be true? If Abram didn't go through it, what must God do if he's taken all of this upon himself? Jesus. The mediator. Right? So this is this is. God in flesh is what this is. This is what this foreshadows. So when we go back to Romans 4, and we see now that Abram is justified by faith, it's faith in the promised Messiah. This is faith in Christ before he even knows who the Christ is. Now there's something called the Proto-Euangelion in Genesis 3.15. Let's go there real quick. Genesis 3.15 This is the first time that the promise is given. It's after the fall. And, uh, and it says, um, I will put hostility or enmity, hatred, between you and the woman. And this is the curse, by the way, to Satan. This is, what, this is how he was cursed. There will be hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. Uh, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Let me start with verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock uh, and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat the dust of all the earth. Now, I will put hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head. Who is he? That's the promised Messiah. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Proto-Euangelion, it's called proto. Proto means first. Euangelion means uh, message or, or uh, good news. It's where we get evangelism from. Um, so it's the first evangelistic mes message. Okay? Proto first, first gospel. So this is what Abram, at this point, is believing. He's believing in his promised Messiah. Okay, let me give you some definitions first. There's so much to cover, and if I'm all over the place, it's because um, there's a lot, okay? 
try to be as succinct and, and uh, organized as possible. We're going to start with some definitions. Justification. So justification is what we're really talking about here. How is Abraham justified? He's justified, of course, by faith. Right? No, no question about that. He's justified by faith. But let's look at some definitions. Interesting. Uh, some of the catechisms and, and uh, confessions of, of old in history have said this. This comes from the Westminster Confession. It's, it's uh, echoed in the London Confession of 1689. But they spent a good bit of time studying this, and this is what they've kind of come up with a succinct definition of. An act of God's free grace wherein he pardons our, all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteous, uh, righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Okay? As in the case of Abram and eventually Abraham. There's a promise. Now, if I came to you and I said, look, I have a, I have a ticket. I don't know how many of you like Six Flags. I love Six Flags. Just a good kid. But if I gave you a ticket and I said, James, this is for you and your family. We're all going to go to Six Flags next week. Here's the stub. It's already paid. Don't worry about it. I'm giving you this ticket, right? Hold on to it. You're going to be so excited, right? I'm telling you about it. You've never been. You don't know what's there. But I'm, I'm describing all of these rides and the thing, places you can eat and the excitement that comes with this, right? You're getting pumped. You're telling your kids everybody's happy and excited. You're believing what, I've, what I'm telling you, right? And that stub is the evidence of what hasn't come yet, right? Because you're believing the person who's telling you this truth. I've never told you a lie before, so you believe it, right? Now, that is where we are in the Old Testament, right? That's your stub. That's the promise to come. That's what they have when they, when they are doing all of the sacrifices. That's what they have when they are doing uh, all of the, all the ceremonies and the washings and the, the purifications. That's what they have is the stub. But now you have the event itself. You are at Six Flags, right? Here Jesus is walking on earth. He's the fulfillment. Okay, this sub now has become a reality. You are in the moment. There you are, right? His death, his, his life, his crucifixion, his work is the reality in time of it happening. But then, then you have the stub receipt, the whatever it is left over. When they tear it, you've, you've gone off, and here you have this, this little piece left over, right? And you can remember, wow, it was just a great time, and I've kept some tickets like that. My first concert or something like that. Maybe you have something like that as well. But it's like something you can look back on, and, and so here, for us, this would be something like baptism, right? Communion. Those are the things that we have that God's given us to look back to this event. And in the, in the Old Testament, they had, you know, the, the sacrifices. They had all the ceremonies and so forth. So we're looking to one reality. We, they were looking forward. We look back. But it's the same reality. And so when we talk about faith in Christ, they didn't know his name. But let me tell you something. They didn't know what he looked like, and neither do we. They'd never seen him. So their belief in the promise to come is the same as our belief in the promise he did come. The fact that he did come. Do you understand that? 
and, and, and you know, you have other things to go with this. Pictures, you can take pictures and remember the, the actual event. And so what do we have? We have a picture. Christ said, look, I'm giving you baptism and communion to remember what I've done. These are pictures, things we can actually look at and see and, and participate in as part of this faith. Now, here's the thing. God gives us this faith out of which flow our obedient response. Right? We don't do these things, and this is why baptism can't save you. <laughs> right? If baptism is just an outward work, then how many people get baptized and they think they have faith and, and they don't? Right? So the faith must precede these things. Okay? As it did in the case of Abraham. He had the faith before he was circumcised. This is Paul's point. This is why when he starts off in Romans 1, the first chapter, and he's saying, hey, you Jews, guess what? <laughs> uh, and in chapter 2, the main for the Jews, he says, uh, he starts off with, with the Gentiles, right? Hey, you guys have blown it. You've been revealed. God's been revealed to you. All of his invisible attributes, which you clearly see in creation, uh, you're in sin. Jews, you're not exempt. You've had the scriptures. You've had all these things. And here you are putting your faith for your salvation in circumcision. Mm, no. Abraham had faith before he was circumcised. Right? So, where does that put you now? And that's what the Judaizers were doing. That's what all these people were coming along doing, saying, hey, look, you've got to be circumcised. That's why Paul got onto Peter when Peter was trying to, you know, sidle up to the, to the Jews. And they were telling the Jews, hey, you know what? Uh, all you Gentiles... Come on in. You can be Christians with us. We're, we're newly converted, but we're Jews. We have a Jewish heritage. Uh, you can join us, but just be circumcised first. And Peter's like, yeah, you need to be circumcised first. And Paul says, Peter, sit down and shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have to be circumcised. That's the whole point of faith. Right? Faith comes first. This is the building block. But this faith in what? Faith in, in the promise. And it's his faith in the promise that justifies us. So when we talk about justification, it's a loaded term. It's got so much in it. Okay? But that's only one aspect of it. i got too much stuff to... Let me... Uh, a few more definitions, just as we kind of unpack this. Justification is a change in the sinner's state. Okay? It's not a change in your condition or your nature. Very important. It's a change in your state, in your relation to God, right? Uh, so, for example, let's say you have a, a man who uh, is a, a womanizer. And he finally finds a woman that he thinks he can marry. And, and so they get married. And they have a certificate, a piece of paper that says, you're married. Right? Marriage certificate. But does that certificate mean that that man is never going to cheat anymore? No. The certificate changes his state. He was single, now he's married. But it doesn't change his nature. He still might cheat. Do you understand that? So this, this justification that we're reading about in Romans is a forensic it is a forensic term. Justification. I don't know why I read that. Justification. It is forensic. Forensic means what? Anybody? 
CSI? No, it's not that. It is legal. So when God justifies us, he justifies us by declaring our state changed. Not our nature. That's sanctification. Okay? You've got to keep those distinct. Because the Catholic Church mixes those two and actually puts sanctification before justification. Listen to this. This is from the, the Roman Catholic uh, Catechism from 1994. Justification established. Listen very carefully. Justification establishes cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom. Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It confirms us to the righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of His mercy. Makes us inwardly just, that would be changing our nature. Justification doesn't do that. Abraham went on to sin after he was justified by faith. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Catholic Church is, is one of hundreds, thousands, you know, of attempts to, to cleanse man, make him clean. So li listen to this. This is from, uh, I believe it was Ian Murray. I can't, there are three Murrays. I keep getting confused. Uh, John, Andrew, and Ian, and they're all fantastic. But I, th this, I think this was Ian Murray who said this. Forensic, about the forensic legal definition here. Think of a courtroom. And here's his quote. When a judge condemns the wicked, he does not make him wicked. He only declares that he is wicked. Here is the marvel of justification. God does what a human judge cannot and must not do. He declares righteous those who are really ungodly. If men were to do so, it would be abomination. But God does it. The question is how? The answer is, God provides a just and legal basis upon which to declare the unrighteous to be just. He does this by imputation. Okay? The Catholics hold to infusion. Infusion is you being made holy inherently from within. Imputation is the legal substitution. You're a sinner. Christ has taken your place so that when God sees you, he sees Christ. Okay? That's imputation. Now, interestingly, well, let me throw up some other terms. We have, we have a lot of definitions here. But what justification requires? I'm going to write this up for you. If you want to take this down, you can, but it's kind of a, a neat little thing. Justification is legal judgment. Somebody needs to stop. No Justification is what does that what does that say? Yeah, it's legal judgment. 
Okay? Now, a legal judgment depends upon justice. Okay? It depends on justice. As we walk through this, let's talk about it. So justification, if it is a legal document, you are now, you know, forgiven in Christ. What does that depend on? It depends on justice. There has to be a, a, a definition of right and wrong. There has to be something that, uh, that is able to say, well, why are you no longer guilty? Why are you no longer being uh, termed this way or seen this way? Why does your status change? Because of something good or bad has happened, okay? This justice, what does it require? It requires a person. Justice requires a judge. Now, let's look at this real quick. Let's see if I can get back into this. All right, we're going to go to um, Genesis again. A lot of this goes to Genesis and Exodus, so I'm, I'm glad that we're back in the Old Testament for this. But go to Genesis uh, 18. Abraham is, is arguing with the Lord. You remember Ab Abram and Lot? They had talked about this land that God had given them, and, and here they are together, and Lot's his nephew, and he says, hey, look, you, you pick what land. Lot, you pick which side you want to go to. Which, which land you want. So Lot's like, I like all this land over here near the city. That's what I like. So he moves that way, and Abram takes, goes the other way. Well, eventually, Lot gets closer and closer to the city, so close that he ends up getting married. Okay? And he gets wrapped up into the culture of the city and so forth. So God decides that Sodom and Gomorrah need to be destroyed. Right? So he shows up, three persons, Genesis 18, beautiful passage there on the Trinity. He shows up, and he comes to Abram, and he says, uh, hey, um, I've come down to destroy the city. And Abram, Abram's like, well, Lot's there. Um, so he starts haggling with God. He says, well, Lord, you're trying to push the people who are righteous. Will you spare the city? Oh, yes, I will spare the city for 50 people. So now Abraham's like, I, I got this, right? Uh, 45? Yes, I will spare it. 40? Gets it down to five. For five people. I think it was five. Let's read this. Make sure. Five or ten. Yeah, it gets down to five people. What verse is that, Kim? Okay, yeah. So it, it is... I still want to read this whole thing. Yeah. 28. Yeah, there we go. Okay, verse 28. All right. So suppose the 50 righteous lack five. Will you destroy it? He replied, no, I'll restore it. Uh, if I find 45, he spoke again, gets it down. And then he says... 20, maybe it's 10. Yeah, suppose there's 10. I'm sorry. So I, I, it was minus five each time. It's what threw me off. Okay, so he gets down to verse 32. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry, and I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. Now, how many of Lot's family were there? Lot, his wife, two daughters. That's four. And there uh, 
So that's put you at six. One over five, close to ten, round up. Right? If you can find ten people righteous when you spare the city, God says, surely, I will spare the city. Now, the message we should get from this is what? Very clearly what? There is no one righteous. <laughs> he could have gotten out of one. Wouldn't have mattered. There's no one righteous. Everyone deserves wrath and the condemnation of God. Okay? So, verse 8, uh, verse 25 of this chapter, though, look at what it said. As Abraham is talking with God, here's what he says about the judge. He says, You could not possibly, Abraham talking to God, you could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked? Treating the righteous and the wicked alike? You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? And it's a rhetorical question. Of course he will, right? Yes, the judge will do what is just. Now, God is, by definition, we, we often go backwards on this. We look at things from our perspective. Something bad happens in the world, some evil. And we say, well, God would never. This is the atheist problem. God would, a loving God would never do that. A loving God would never allow that to happen. Well, you're focused, first of all, on love, not holiness. That's a problem. But the second thing is, whatever God allows is good. Somehow. <laughs> I'm not saying bad things aren't bad. What I'm saying is, I don't know what God knows about it. And so, uh, I think I used a few weeks ago the example of if, if I had a knife and I'm coming at you and my intention was to cut you, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? And everybody was like, ah, it'd be a bad thing. That's horrible. But I'm a doctor and I'm going to cut the bullet out of you that has been shot into you. And my point is to say, see, you don't know that. That's why we look at things and we say, oh, that's bad. If we knew what God knew, that thing may be bad in one sense, but it is far his ultimate, this is what Romans tells us in chapter 8, right? God works all things, all things, just the good things, all things, bad things. Ran out of gas this morning. It's a good thing. <laughs> See, I mean, okay. so, so the point is, is that we tend, as, as people, we tend to look at the negatives, the evils, the, the, and, and, and we're commanded to call things that are morally reprehensible, that is immoral. That's our limited knowledge. That's what God has given us. Don't commit murder. So we go out and we tell people who want abortions, don't do it. It's against the violation of God's law. Right? And you can see how this ultimately plays into social justice. Ultimately, when we start understanding justification and our justification, we start understanding that love covers a multitude of sins. We start understanding that, you know, but by the grace of God, there go I. Right? And so we start seeing people who are in these situations, people who struggle with sin, people who, are, who hate God. We start seeing them as worthy of justification from, from our level. God may not have chosen them. I don't know that. That's not up to me. But from our perspective, what am I evangelistically called to do? Share the gospel. To treat them as if they are. They're created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. They bear that, that mark. So we have to look uh, at that in that light. All right, so, yeah. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, and, and that's that's part of justification. Justification is not just a, a goody two shoes term. It's not just oh you're all sinners. Oh, I'm going to justify you. Good news. No, justification involves the other side of it as well, and that's punishment, retribution, vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That is part of God's overarching act of justification. If he pardons some, that means in, logically some aren't. Okay? So, so how that works, I mean, Abraham did not, Abraham was happy worshiping with his father the moon. He was a moon worshiper. And, and if God had never intervened, Abraham would have died doing that. But God called him out of land for her, right? We're not told that Abraham answered the call. In other words, he did, but we're not told that. The emphasis is not on Abraham responding. The emphasis is on God calling, right? You go to the Gospels. Jesus calls the, the uh, uh, he started when he's beginning his ministry and he's calling those to him. Uh, I think it's Mark 4, Matthew 4, one of them. He says, um, Andrew, follow me. Come, follow me. We're not told there was any dialogue. We're not told. It says immediately, <laughs> so it's Mark, immediately they drop their nets and follow Christ. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the other things Jesus says when he says what he means. Peace be still to the waves. What happens? It's peaceful. As to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand and be made whole. Take up your pallet and walk. When Jesus speaks authoritatively, it happens. Lazarus come forth. It happens. Well, yes, but, but, but in terms of what we have recorded in Scripture, yeah. You know, but we can go back to creation for this, right? Let there be light. There was light. So when God justifies you, you need to hang on to that stub, right? We need to hang on to the stub, not because the stub saves us, but because the stub represents our faith in what does save us, and that's, that's Christ, right? So uh, to finish this out real quick, justice is according to law. Okay? So, for a judge to be just, he has to have a law to go by. It's, we, all of us in here would argue till the cows come home that our justice system is messed up. We have judges that are issuing unjust decisions. And that's because they're overlooking, overturning, ignoring the law is there for a purpose, and if the law is not enacted, it's not enforced, it's unjust, unjust, okay? Now, a side note, this is important. There's a difference between injustice and non-justice, okay? God, when he shows mercy or he, uh, a sinner goes to hell, it is not unjust. But when God shows mercy, it, it is non-just. Does that make sense? He's not exercising justice in terms of some kind of sentence being 
he's exercising mercy, which is not, it, it, it's not a, it's not non-just, not unjust. I, maybe I shouldn't have brought this up because it is a complicated thing. But, but, but I just want to make that distinction, okay? It is true. Um, and then the law demands, what does the law demand? The law must be holy. Okay? In other words, if you have a bad law, there is no justice. So if any of these things is out of, out of whack, you're not going to have justice. So look, let's work backwards now. Who alone is holy? God. Who is given the law? God. Who is the judge? God. Where does justice come from? God. What does David say about the judgments and the justice of God? The judgments are from God. This is all God's work. Okay? And so when we try to be, when we try to live a life that in, involves justice, that involves the law, all of these things are good, but they all come from, they, they, they come from God. All right? And so when people see this, what did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples, my disciples by the love you have for one another, right? How is that love in action? How is that love seen? How is it visible? If it was as simple as baking a cake for the new neighbor, everybody fits that category, right? But for us, what do we say? Why did I bake that cake? The law has commanded you, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So when we point what we do back to this, that's called evangelism, okay? When we say, I, I'm doing this, listen, if it were up to me, you know, in my nature, but my natural bent, I wouldn't take the time. I would, but God works in us, right, to bring forth these things. Spurgeon, I was talking to Wayne yesterday. I was like, one of the, one of the things about um, uh, neat quotes from Spurgeon was he was saying that when, uh, when we pray on our knees, when we pray, the Holy Spirit, for the believer, the Holy Spirit is squeezing that prayer out of their heart. Okay? It's a neat picture because I, there's nothing in my heart that God would accept apart from that. It takes his intervening spirit to even, be, Romans 8, 15, right? The, the groanings of the spirit uh, interpret even the things that we can't put into terms, in the words, right? So, very, very uh, interesting stuff. All right. Justification. Right, somebody showed me a trick. I'm going to try this. Beats doing that in a minute. Imputation. What is imputation? Imputation is that legal act of God, right, which justifies. Great exchange, substitution. In other words, in other words. Now, here we're going to go back to Genesis again, and this is going to be interesting. This is Genesis one, and by the way, we're going back to Genesis. What does that tell you about Paul and his theology? The old <laughs> you know that it's from the Old Testament. That's right. It's from the letter. What were you saying? 
high view of Scripture. Absolutely. The, the, the holistic view of Scripture, right? Scripture interprets Scripture. So, uh, Genesis 1. And this is, really, this is really neat. I'm sorry. And it's 3. There I am. <laughs> Silly me. After the fall. After the fall, what, the, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. Oh, this is good. They hide. Yeah, they cover themselves. Shame, all this mess, right? All right, what else? Yeah, blame. Right, they play the blame game, and there, there's more that we could start breaking down if you want to get psychoanalytical about it. But uh, they really, right here, they cover themselves. Okay, they make fig leaves and cover whatever they had, and you know, that wasn't cutting it because I don't know about y'all, but fig leaves wither. Okay, and it doesn't last very long, and it probably is not warm when it gets cold and all that kind of stuff. So God, here we go. Chapter 3, verse 9, or verse 10. And he heard, and he said, I heard you in the garden. This is God speaking, uh, answering Adam. Uh, Adam speaking to God, sorry. And I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, yes, uh, the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. Um, did I pass it? Oh, no, yeah, it's a little earlier, sorry. Verse 6, my apologies. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were naked, and they... Knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So there's the first thing, right? They know that there's now sin in the world. And then we go down. And James, what did you say? What verse did you say? Okay. Uh, yep, there it is. Verse 21. Thank you. So the Lord made, the Lord God made clothing from skins, skins for man and his wife, and he clothed them from skins. What makes a skin? An animal. So guess what? And again, this goes back to our Proto-Yangelion, Genesis 3.15. Guess what is inherent in God uh, covering? Yes. Blood. Substitution. Substitution. I don't know why I can spell Substitution. Should have killed you, Adam. I killed this animal. You said blood. Blood was shed. Should have been your blood, Adam. I will cover you. You can't cover yourself. Right? Something had to die, Adam, for you to live. Right? 
you start looking and sacrifice. And sacrifice is wrapped up in, in death and blood and so forth as well. But it's just another term, theological term that's important for what's happening here. So Adam, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, experienced atonement, experienced death that was substituted for them. They saw the death. They, they were covered by that death. Blood was there. God's doing this. Do you think they understood salvation a little bit? No, I think so. I think they got it. That, I, that my living after I sin is dependent upon a merciful God who doesn't kill me but covers me. That's what we're talking about. And then you, you take this and you have who were the children? Cain and Abel. And this is how we know that this message was real. It was something he understood because he tells his children, this is the message. Guess what? It's the blood that covers me. So Abel gets it. How do we know he got it? Because what did he do? He was a shepherd. He gave a sacrifice. He was offering sacrifices. It was, a, it was a, an, the imagery. It was a replication, a perpetual replication of what God had done for Adam and Eve, for their sin. So they knew death, blood, sacrifice, substitution had to happen. No question. Hugely important because, as Jeff was just saying, this is where our false worship, worship, rightful worship, is pleasing to God and is good to God, and how horribly we corrupt that with self-styled worship, which is rightly Well, and, and what I was going to say, what's interesting is, again, you go back to the curse. We're in Genesis 3. Look at that real quick. Um... It's verse, um, the woman, and verse 17. He said to the man, because you listened to your wife, could stop there, it'd be a good lesson. I'm just, it's Bible. I'm just, it's Bible. So, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. The ground is cursed. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you were dust, and you will return to dust. It's a cursed thing. Guess what Cain was offering? He was offering stuff from the curse. <laughs> you know, well, what does it take to get... Your tomato plant just right. It takes your work and your effort, and your, you got your hands in the dirt, and the dirt is what? Death, because that's where you're going to return when you die. It's all about death, and it's all about your work. You can't produce these things. Cain knew exactly what Adam had told them. I, I, I'm thoroughly convinced they both had the gospel, and Abel understood it, and Cain didn't, and Cain killed him. 
again, just wanted to point this out. Now, back to entropy. That, that's, that's a big part of it, but back to entropy. There are three in Scripture. There are three times imputation occurs in Scripture. And the reason we, reason we went back to Genesis is because that's one of them. When Adam sinned, Adam's sin to, I'm going to say us, but I mean all people. Adam sinned to us. When he sinned, you can't escape it. Now, here's, this is important. Because when we talk about sin, we're talking about two elements of sin. This is super important. Don't forget this. A lot of people don't understand this, and, it, and they don't get it. Okay? The two elements of sin are pollution and guilt. I don't smoke. I don't smoke. But if I walked into a place where people did, I would smell it. And if, and if I lived in a house where people smoked and I came in here every Sunday morning, people wouldn't know whether I did or didn't. I would smell the same as if I did. Smoking is the guilty act. That's what happens. Right? You get the throat thing. It's a horrible thing. But smoking is the guilty act. Pollution, you can't escape. And if you don't smell good to God, you're dirty. And you're born not smelling good. When you're born, you're polluted. You don't have to have ever committed any crime ever had any bad thought, you are in the world that is, is fallen because of Adam. And that pollution is in and through. And if you've ever, anybody ever seen the movie Twins? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito? Way back in the late 80s? Identical twins. Yeah, identical twins. Right? <laughs> they were. They were. That's, that was the premise of the story. Well, what had happened was this mother, this, this lady, had, you know, uh, had all of this DNA from all of these great men, right? Somehow it was injected into her, and she, she has these two twins. And one of them got all of the good stuff. Looks, muscles, the, you know, brains, all of it. And Danny DeVito didn't. <laughs> you know. And so, and, and, and so it's, a, it's a hilarious movie, but the point is that, you know, it doesn't matter. Arnold Schwarzenegger grows up on this on this island, and he's protected from society, and he never has anybody, he's, he's just this pure kind of person, and you watch the movie, and he's not so pure, he, he's not able to withstand the temptation, it doesn't matter how much you keep or shield a person, and try to keep them pure, they are inherently going to express their sinful nature, right, at some point. And so this is incredibly important because this covers everybody, All right? You caught that. Yeah, you got it. Okay, so Adam's sin to us is what's imputed. So now i got to look at myself, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty and I'm polluted. And this is the problem because you got a lot of people running around saying, I'm a good person. I'm a good, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't, see, this guilt here is an action. I don't do that. I don't do this. I, do, I, help, I help do this. And I, I'm a good person. No, you're polluted. <laughs> I don't care how guiltless you are. 
you're polluted. And because you're polluted, you're guilty. Because you're pollution. Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you sin because you're a sinner or are you a sinner because you sin? Which is it? If, if, you, if you're a sinner because you sin, then guess what the limit is? Stop sinning. And now you're out of sin. But if you are a sinner, uh, you're, you sin because you're a sinner, there is no solution other than Christ. Now, this is important, too, because you have God. This is a little diagram, okay? You have God, and you have man. This is at the, at the beginning in the garden. And God gives man righteousness. Adam was created righteous. And because Adam was created righteous, he was able to enjoy fellowship with God. And it was a beautiful, beautiful cycle. And until God... Now, you think God's going to give somebody righteousness and then snatch it from them? No. What God does, he does forever. Ecclesiastes tells us. And so, he created Adam in righteousness, but guess who broke that righteousness? Adam. Man did. So now, he has no righteousness, and he has no fellowship. He's cut off. What happened to Adam? Kicked out of the garden. Right? Kicked out of the garden. So... Who's the only person that can fix this? God is. Now we go back to the covenant with Abraham, right? It's going to take man and God, fully man, fully God, to fix this. God's going to have to do it, but man's the one who broke the law. We're going to have to have somebody who can keep the law. Right? We go back to the little, on this side, we go back to the law, right? The law is Christ fulfilled the law, passively and actively. Now, let's finish this out real quick, and then we'll take questions. Adam's sin to us is the first imputation. You got that? The second one is our sin to Christ. Our sin is put on Christ. Now, it gets a little more exclusive here, because our sin... Adam's sin to us is universal. No person escapes this. But because God has a plan and he's chosen people, our sin on Christ is not everybody's sin on Christ. Okay? Not, not the whole world in the universal sense. It's the sins of his people. Matthew 121. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Okay? Mark 10, 45. Some man came not to be ministered to, but to minister to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay? Our sin was put on Christ, and he saves his people fully, without fail. And then the last imputation is, of course, Christ's righteousness to... His people. If, if, if Adam's sin was on everybody, and then everybody's sin was on Christ, if it's true imputation, then Christ's righteousness would have to go to everybody's. And not everybody's righteous. Made righteous. Okay? So much to talk about with justification. Uh, this is the tip of the iceberg. What we're going to do is walk through some things next week. 
some passages and look at that. And then the third week, it's going to be kind of interesting. Uh, we're going to be a little, little grittier in what we talk about, but it's going to involve some, uh, some of the Greek and Roman ideas of justification and how Paul was dealing with that, uh, what the culture believed and, and, and was experiencing at the time that he's writing Romans 4. So it's, it's a really fascinating study. Uh, but questions or comments about this?